0: Hello, this is Darren Alf from bicycletouringpro.com, and as many of you know, I recently got myself a new touring bicycle, a CoMotion Cycles Siskiyou touring bicycle with a pinion gearbox and a Gates carbon drive system. This is a very special bicycle because it does not have a metal chain, external gearing, or a set of front and rear derailleurs like you see on so many other bicycles. Instead, All of the gearing for this particular bike is built into the frame of the bicycle. There are no gears on the back of the bike, and all of the gearing is built into a gearbox that slides into a specially made compartment that's essentially built into the bottom bracket of my bicycle frame. From this gearbox, a sprocket is mounted, which runs to another sprocket on the rear hub of the bicycle, and those two sprockets are then connected with a belt. The end result is a bicycle that runs both super smooth and quiet and, best yet, requires almost no maintenance whatsoever. This is a very new technology and is really not something that you are going to see commonly on the streets, but it is something that's becoming more and more popular and something that I suspect will grow by leaps and bounds in the years to come. Now that I just recently had the pleasure of completing a 2,000-kilometer-long bike tour across Sweden, Finland, and Norway on my new Co-Motion Cycle Siskiyou touring bicycle, and I've had a chance to put the Pinion gearbox and the Gates carbon drive system to the test, I thought this would be the perfect time for me to sit down and talk with someone from Pinion and Gates and ask them some of my most pressing questions about the Pinion gearbox and the Gates Carbon Drive System. Questions such as, what are the advantages and disadvantages to this internal gearing and belt-driven system? What kinds of bicycles is the system being used on? How does the pinion gearbox compare to the roll-off system or the traditional metal chain and derailleur system so many people are used to? How much extra weight, if any, does it add to your bicycle if you use the pinion gearbox? Does friction from the belt mean it requires more effort to pedal than a traditional metal chain? Is it possible for the belt to come off or derail while you're riding? Will long-term exposure to the sun, rain, or snow damage the belt or gearbox in any way? How long does the belt and gearbox last? Will it wear out after a certain number of miles or kilometers? Can you shift more than one gear at a time? And do you have to be pedaling in order to change gears? What kind of maintenance, if any, do you have to do to maintain the gearbox and the belt? How does the gearbox keep out potential contaminants like water and dirt? If the gearbox does need to be fixed or maintained for some reason, how exactly is that done? Will I be able to perform the repair myself? Do I need special tools to maintain or repair the box myself? Where can I get spare parts if necessary? Will my local bike shop be able to help me, or do I have to ship my entire bike to Pinion Slash Gates, in order to get it repaired should you use a bicycle with the system installed on it only for domestic bike trips or can it safely and reliably be used in foreign parts of the world how much does it cost and finally is it worth the added price To answer these questions, I sat down and spoke with Mark Seaman, the program lead at Pinion North America and the Gates Corporation. Hello, Mark, and thank you so much for allowing me to sit down and interview you. As you know, I just recently completed a month-long bicycle tour across Sweden, Finland, and Norway on my new Commotion Cycles Siskiyou touring bicycle, which has been fitted with a Pinion 18-speed gearbox and a Gates carbon drive system. And I have to say, the bike performed wonderfully for me while I was on tour. I really didn't have any problems with the bike whatsoever. Uh, I never had to once clean or lubricate the belt, the gearbox, or the sprockets. And I found the process of learning how to shift the gears to be very, very easy. That being said, um, I still have some questions for you about the Pinion Gearbox and the Gates Carbon Drive System. And I know my readers, listeners, and followers have some questions about this particular setup as well. So I'm very happy to be speaking with you and to get some answers to these common questions about this new and very unique gearing technology. First of all, um, let me get this right. You work for both Pinion and Gates, but they're two separate companies, right?
1: Correct. So um, Pinion, just for 2017, has really... um, wanted to start supporting the North American market. So they've been selling gearboxes into North America, I think, since 2011 or 2012. But, um, you know, they've been just such a a small company. It's been really hard to support a lot of markets outside of Europe. And so now with the release of the C-Line box, in terms of volume, they're able to tackle some new marketplaces. So Gates, kind of a logical partner for them just because the box and the belt are used. I think it's 85 to 90 percent of uh, gearboxes that are sold end up with a belt drive. And so uh, we're a pretty logical service partner for them. And so we've just been working with them on um, you know, so OEM supply, IT support, uh, service support uh, for North America. And it's only been about six months now and we're still just, you know, uh, kind of getting our feet on the ground uh, with everything. But it's been a great relationship so far. They're just an awesome company, really, really good guys, really forward thinking guys. And so I've been doing technical support for carbon drive, uh, for Gates for about two years. And so now this is kind of a uh, new opportunity for me uh, to do more of the Pinion support as well. Hmm. Okay, cool. So Pinion makes the gearboxes and Gates makes the belts and the sprockets and all that. Is that right? Pinion will do the, the cranks, the shifters, and the box. Mm. And then Gates does all of the final drive components. So the two sprockets and the belt uh, are produced by Gates.
0: I realize this might sound like a silly question, but um, like I have this set up on my new Commotion Cycles Siskiyou Touring Bicycle. But what do I call it exactly? Do I just say I have a Touring Bicycle with a Pinion gearbox and a Gates carbon belt drive system? That's kind of long. Or what exactly do I say?
1: I mean it's definitely a opinion brand gearbox um, and you'll see I mean you'll see the the gearbox paired with a chain on some applications yeah um so it can be configured a few different ways but I mean most people just refer to it as a gearbox drivetrain or a belt drive train um I don't if I don't know of a not like a specific nomenclature for the sort of kit or the complete system <laughs> sure. you can come up with a you know your own name for it if you want you know no, the, no, the yeah. whole system name because no one has done that yet. So that's maybe an opportunity. It's got to be, uh, come up with something.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I was just curious because it's, you know, it's kind of, it's a mouthful to say all that, you know, pinion gearbox with the Gates carbon drive system. It's quite a bit. Um, as far as the the Gates carbon drive system, there's that word carbon in there. What exactly is carbon in this? Is the belt made of carbon? Are the sprockets made of carbon? What, where does that carbon come from?
1: So it's actually the tensile cords inside the belt. So, um, the cords are what give the the belt its stiffness and its strength. Mm -hmm. And so on a lot of, um, higher end industrial automotive belts, you know, they'll use fiberglass cords, they'll use aramid cords, uh, really high end belts actually use carbon fiber cords. And so that's what all the carbon drive belts are using, um, is a carbon fiber tensile cord. So that's where, carbon uh, comes from so the belt isn't just made out of rubber or something yeah it's actually a polyurethane belt um and so that in the world of belts it's kind of crazy so there's um, lots of different materials you can make the belt itself out of there's lots of different cords you can use inside the belt um, depending on the application and depending on how um you know price sensitive or economical the belt needs to be um so for us we use a, a polyurethane body for the belt which is a really stable material in terms of weather resistance, temperature resistance. Um, it's just really stable; doesn't change shape uh, when you put it in all these different environments. Yeah. And then the carbon tensile cords are what give it um, sort of its stiffness. But if you look at our more entry-level belts, we do the CDN line of belts. That's a, a polymer rubber belt. So similar in design, uh, similar to look, but um, just not quite as uh, great in those really extreme conditions. Hmm. Okay
0: and backtracking a little bit just as far as the whole gearbox and the belt and everything like what is the main problem that this is solving like how how is it improving the existing yeah derailleur and chain setup
1: well so i'd say the main thing is is durability and maintenance are probably the two primary reasons you would go with internal gearing over a a chain and derailleur you know from a maintenance standpoint the gearbox you change the oil um, they'll say every about 6,000 miles or once a year, uh, sort of the service interval, interval for that. Otherwise, it's just you try to keep the system clean, uh, try to keep the cables, you know, in, in good working order. Um, and with the belt, there's no lubrication you have to apply to it and it doesn't stretch. So um, you're talking about just periodically hosing it off is your complete maintenance for the whole drivetrain. Also durability. Uh, it's really nice to have the whole, you know, all those moving components are all enclosed inside the gearbox. So that they're not exposed to the elements. Um, you don't have anything, you know, with the derailleur, if it's hanging off the back of the bike, you have to worry about, you know, bending a derailleur hanger. It's durable. It's low maintenance. Um, there's also some performance advantages, which, um, on like more of the mountain bike side, uh, just a, sort of a weight distribution conversation, it puts all of your drivetrain weight really low and really centered on the bike. So that's definitely advantageous for certain bikes yeah. uh, to have the weight there. So, but yeah, it's, it's, it's clean, it's quiet, It's strong. It's, you know. It's probably not going to replace derailleurs completely anytime soon, but for certain applications, um, sort of those qualities just make it a, a lot better alternative to a, to a conventional chain and derailleur system. Yeah. And what, what sort of downsides or disadvantages are there? Um, so currently I'd say the, the weight is probably one thing that people will think of first. It's um, anywhere between you know, a one to a three pound net weight gain mm-hmm. um, over a derailleur system. It, again, it goes back to the application. If it's on a touring bike, you know you're not really too worried about that weight gain. Um, if it's going to be on you know, more of a higher performance, like road racing bike, then of course that's that's kind of a deal breaker for some people. So that's one of those things I think Pinion is really uh, focused on right now. Definitely with the release of C line, um, that was a pretty tremendous weight loss uh, from the existing P line boxes. And then moving forward, I'm sure that's going to be pretty high on the agenda uh, is to reduce that weight. The only other thing probably is just, you know, you have to start with a frame that's specifically made for it. So, you know, with a roll-off system or internally geared, you can pretty much adapt it to to most bikes that are already in the marketplace. Yeah. Uh, versus this, you're kind of starting from scratch. So mm-hmm. That's probably the probably the two biggest drawbacks of it. Yeah. So there's no way to add the pinion
0: gearbox onto an existing bike of any
1: kind? There's people that have done it, but it's definitely, it's pretty costly to do. And it's, um, it's just, it's way easier for a frame builder to start from scratch. Uh, building around okay. it. So like I, I have the
0: pinion gearbox and gate system on my new commotion bike, which is a touring bicycle, but like what other, you mentioned mountain bikes, what other kinds of bikes is this being put on?
1: Sure. So on the mountain bike side, um, if you're into trekking or bike packing, you have know, same qualities that make it great for touring. It's you know, low maintenance day to day. You're going to ride into the mountains and just spend a few days away on some rugged trails. It's nice to have that reliability, um, and low maintenance of the gearbox. Um, the other application that's kind of cool, we've seen, um, there's a company called zeroed from New Zealand that does a full suspension bike around the pinion. And the whole philosophy with that is that you move the, uh, the weight of a cassette and a derailleur, you move that to the center of the bike. And so it reduces the unsprung weight on the rear wheel. Yeah. And so there's been some, some pretty enthusiastic people, uh, riding those bikes that have just, you know, said it's, a uh, a huge, huge improvement. And then I think Nikolai is actually doing a similar bike to that. That's, it's still running the belt on that one, actually. Um, mm-hmm. The ION series bikes. So a lot of people um, see a lot of potential uh, in the gearbox on that more gravity uh, sort of mountain bike. Yeah.
0: But there's no, uh, like you can't potentially damage
1: the gearbox from all the vibrations of mountain biking? No. I mean, the the gearboxes are super durable. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're really overbuilt for the bike application. Um, I think they test them to something like 250 Newton meters of input torque. So it's, you know, something that from normal biking, normal mountain biking, it's going to hold up really great, uh, as far as, you know, like rocks or, you know, there's always going to be some sort of, you know, unforeseen thing, you know, it's a product of maybe like abusive riding or something like that. But I'd say if you're riding normally, <laughs> it's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah. And like you mentioned that the weight, the additional weight for some people is kind of a deal breaker. Does that mean you're not really going after the road racing market at this point or,
1: um, I think down the road, um, that could definitely be relevant as you know, things you know, evolve over time. But I think now, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be more touring, trekking. Um, I think for like gravel, like endurance racing, I think it could be really, really relevant. And then, uh, definitely for mountain biking. So, I'd say more, yeah, more on that end of the spectrum for now. I know it's crazy. You look at other technologies like, you know, suspension and disc brakes, you know, they started in one sort of category and, you know, as they improve with time, they find them, you know, find their way into a lot of different applications. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, five to 10 years of development down the road, I think you might see gearboxes on a a lot, a lot of different kinds of bikes. I think you're right. I mean, especially
0: in the touring bike world, like, old school, traditional bicycle touring, the idea is to have a bike that you can essentially repair anywhere in the world. So if it breaks down in Africa or something, all the parts and stuff are available to be fixed there. And just, I don't know how long ago exactly, but when disc brakes started to become popular, everyone was kind of poo-pooing disc brakes on touring bikes, you know? And now, now pretty much every bike, Every touring bike has disc brakes on it. So it's become it's become the standard essentially. And and I could see some of these things becoming the standard very soon as well.
1: Yeah, we've definitely uh as bikers we're we're kind of a fickle bunch. I know like I worked at a shop for about fourteen years and definitely new stuff coming out, it's like, oh, I don't know, I don't want to deal with this, this is scary, I don't I like my stuff I know, and so it's I think we're apprehensive sometimes with new, newer technologies. I know I'm definitely guilty of it, but as it becomes you know, just more normal and more available. And I think that good technologies push their way through, uh, in the bike industry.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you a little bit later about the longevity, I guess, of, of the systems and the belt and all that kind of stuff. But, um, like how first, like how does the pinion gearbox, for example, like compare to the roll off?
1: I guess on, on paper, they're, they're really similar in some ways. Uh, their longevity, sort of their maintenance intervals are similar, they're both internally geared, so you have you know a sealed system with oil uh, lubricating everything. Um, I think the main advantage of the the roll off is that you can adapt it to any existing bike versus with the pinion you're starting from scratch. Mm. Um, now the pinion, there's, the advantages that it has certainly where the weight sits on the bike. Um, having it low and in the middle is yeah. definitely advantageous. Um, the other thing that I really like about the pinion is they give you options in terms of gearing. Um, so. The roll-off is 568% range, which is really terrific, um, high to low. Um, But depending on the application, you might want a reduced range of gears. You might want bigger gears. And so the pinion they'll do um, in the P line, they have four models. Um, In the C line, they have three models. And then depending on your application, you can sort of tailor how those gears are spaced and what the total range is that's kind of nice um that you have that that flexibility there's also a, a spectrum in terms of pricing where there's you know kind of a more entry-level model and then there's you know a tippy top high-end model so i'd say options are probably one of the nice qualities of the the pinion yeah
0: and and so right now there are they're with the pinion gearbox there's there's a 12 speed box and a 18 speed
1: right are there more than that there's more. Yeah. So uh, the, uh, the 18 is the sort of the original box that came out with, which is, um, uh, I mean, it's a tremendous range of gearing. It's 636% range. The other nice thing is that because of all the reduction is happening in the front of the bike, you can adjust where that, or that range actually sits up or down with your final drive gearing. Hmm. Um, so it's pretty slick on that. And then that's 11% steps. So tremendously fine steps from one gear to the next. So if you're doing a really long ride, you have, you know, a long stretch of road where you're just trying to find that ideal cadence, that ideal resistance, that's going to be, you know, better than pretty much anything else out there, uh, for that fine, you know, finding those fine steps between, between gears. Now the 12 is 600% range. So it's still a a very high, you know, top to bottom with 17% steps. So just a little bit bigger jumps from one gear to the next. So, really relevant still for, for mountain biking, uh, touring and trekking. Um, but it reduces the weight, reduces the cost. And then you'll have that box available in both the P and then the C line. So you have some options for your, your case materials there too. Hmm. Uh, and then they do, there's a six speed model now, which, uh, is a 300% range box, really lightweight little box. That's super cool. And then uh, there's some nine speed models, which they do uh, a wide ratio and then they do a close ratio version of the 9 speed. So for urban bikers that want, you know, really tight gearing but they don't need a tremendous spread, um the CR model 9 speed. Um that box and then the XR is more for mountain biking or um, it's going to have uh 568% range. So high really, you know, good high to low, but then the steps are 25%, so uh, big jumps from one gear to the next. Okay.
0: And what's the, what is like the price difference between I don't know the lowest and the highest model,
1: or I uh, just priced out a system, um, sort of price for the the Gates Carbon Drive components and the and the boxes and the MSRP on like that six speed model would be right around a thousand dollars. Okay. Um, versus at the high end of the spectrum, if you do the eighteen speed um, with all the high end components, that's going to be somewhere around twenty three to twenty five hundred dollars. So pretty big, uh, you know, from the entry level to the high end, there's a pretty broad spectrum of pricing.
0: And, but like, uh, w- which one is most popular? Which of the gearboxes is most popular?
1: So um, I think the the 12 speed C line box, I think you know, they just introduced that at the beginning of this year. I think that box is really going to be um, a great compromise in terms of pricing, um, in terms of the spread of gears. I think as far as what you get for the money, that one's really tough to beat. I think that would probably be the one that I'd be most interested in, hmm. um, would be that 12 speed C line box which I think Commotion's offering that now. They have the 18-speed as an option uh, for all theirs, and then they're also listing the, listing the, the C-Line 12-speed uh, on their website. Mm, okay. But from a
0: mountain biking perspective, which of the gearboxes is most popular there? Is it the 12-speed gearbox, or are people using the 18-speed as well?
1: Yep. Uh, for most mountain biking, um, the 12-speed uh, the and then the 9-speed um, the with the extended ratios um, are probably the two most common boxes. Um, what we found, it depends a lot on the riding. So if it's, um, like out here in Colorado, we have you know, undulating terrain where you just, you know, you want to shift maybe one or two times per shift. And so having the big jumps is advantageous versus if you're doing more like cross-country riding where you really want those finer steps then the 12-speed box can be a little bit better for that. And what about the overall,
0: like... Um weight limit of something like this is there any way that you can break it by being too heavy or pushing it too hard
1: Uh, i don't think so they've never published anything um as far as like rider weights anything like that i think it's like i said if you you have an opportunity to see one internally they are so overbuilt uh, for what they need to do as a you know bicycle transmission part um, I think they just, you know, for these, for these first designs, I think they just way overbuilt it to ensure that it was going to be durable. And then, you know, maybe later they'll start making it a little bit lighter and maybe Im- imposing some sort of, you know, maximum or something. But for now, yeah, there hasn't been any, you know, durability, you know, weight restriction sort of, uh, minimum or maximum.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, I have a bunch of questions now about the belt and the belt drive system. To start, you already mentioned that the belt and stuff is basically maintenance-free. Um, what does that maintenance-free mean? Do I just wipe it down every once in a while, or what exactly do I have to do?
1: Keeping the belt clean helps, helps its longevity. So what will actually wear the belt out is um, just the friction of the belt teeth to the sprocket teeth. And so if you get dust and sand and grime in there, you know, that'll just wear that sort of abrasive quality. Those things will just wear away at those surfaces faster. Hmm. And so the best thing you can do to prolong your belt's longevity is just to, to keep it clean. Um, and that's as simple as, you know, just hosing it off. You can use like a, a rag or a or a brush, you know, to, to clean it out if you want. Um, other than that, there's not really any, any day-to-day maintenance. As it does wear, I mean, the material of the teeth will, will wear away. Um, and so that's when you'll have to readjust the tension of it once it's kind of set initially you can ride it for a very long time you know between tension adjustments yeah and one of my
0: readers asked me they said uh, does it have any power loss due to elasticity in the belt is that a silly question or or no
1: no not a silly question at all it's actually a question we get a lot of um because there's there's a tremendous spectrum of belts. And so a lot of people have had some sort of previous experience with belts, whether it's a a synchronous belt, or there's also V belts, which rely on friction to work at all. And so if you're only experienced with, you know, some of these other more entry-level belts or the V belts, um, you're going to assume that there's some sort of frictional loss in the belt drive. And so the the way the belts work, um, you have a little bit of friction from the teeth engaging the sprocket that really, you know, is a, a super small amount of friction, um, especially relative to a chain once it's under load. All those pivoting links, the amount of friction in there goes up and up and up as you increase the load. And so we found that it was a, a very very small. You know, if there's very little load going through the system, um, then the the chain is going to be more efficient at that super small load, basically soft pedaling. But as soon as you start pedaling hard, sort of a medium um, to hard you know, sort of cadence then that's when the belt's going to become more efficient um, and even more and more and more efficient as that power is increased. So definitely it's one of those things I'm sure that, you know, we're talking about just absurd, tiny amounts of, you know, frictional losses. It's something that I've never, you know, been able to, to discernibly even tell a difference. Yeah. Um, the main thing I notice is just that the belt is smoother because of the way the belt engages. You don't have the, that sensation of the links of the chain engaging on the sprocket. So it felt smoother. It doesn't feel you know, slower. It doesn't feel, I don't know, like it's consuming any of my energy. But definitely a, you know, a really relevant conversation on like the industrial side of our business. That's a big component of it is you know, the efficiency of the belts versus the chain.
0: Mm. But and and like, how exactly does the the belt fit onto the bicycle because like a, a metal bike chain you have to like break the chain apart and then put it back together you know through the back of the bicycle how does that work with with a belt on on the bike sure
1: know? so you have to start with a, a frame that has a split in the rear triangle um, since the belt is one continuous loop you just have to find a way to get it through the chain or the seat stay so One of our first big obstacles when the belt was released in 2006, 2007, is that it required a special frame. And so I think we started with, I think there were three to five bikes in the marketplace that first year that were compatible. Now we have an ongoing list of frame models that are compatible. And so I think we're up to over, I think it's like 450 or 500 different models of bikes um, that are in the marketplace or have been previously released that have that, that special split for the belt.
0: Wow, that's great. I would imagine that if I worked at Pinion or Gates um, at the beginning, that this fact, the fact that you have to have a specially made bicycle frame that has, you know, a spot in the bottom bracket for that gearbox, and it's got to have a split in the rear triangle so that you can get that belt through, I would imagine that that would be one of the most difficult obstacles. That you would have to overcome in order to get this whole system off the ground, am I right? But it's kind
1: of interesting, pinion definitely they tried to make it as easy as possible for the frame manufacturers to integrate it. And so they actually do um the component that actually gets welded into the frame, they call that a bridge. And so pinion has uh, you know, aluminum and then steel bridges that they sell. And so if you're a frame if you're a small frame builder and you want to adapt it to it, you know, it's just a matter of um you know, there's a a jig that you would assemble onto your normal frame building jig that holds that bridge. And then it's just a matter of cutting and mitering your tubes to, to sit on that bridge rather than on a conventional bottom bracket shell. So it's it's a lot, you know, it's different, but it's not, uh, it's not a tremendous change or, or hardship for those guys.
0: Okay, cool. How do you get the belt at the correct
1: tension? It'll usually be uh, through a sliding dropout which is what the commotion uses. Um, so the, you basically have dropout plates to hold the rear axle and those can just slide forward and backwards. And so it's a really easy, really intuitive way, um, to be able to adjust that, that tension there. Uh, you also see a lot of eccentric bottom brackets, um, which have their advantages and disadvantages definitely. But, uh, I think most of what's, what's out there now, certainly anything that's going to use, uh, the pinion gearbox is usually going to have a sliding dropout. Mm. Uh, and the great thing about that is that, once you have that tension set, uh, once those dropout plates are in the correct position, when, once you remove the wheel, do you have to you know, change a flat tire or something like that? Um, when you reinstall it, nothing has moved in terms of the tension adjustment. So it'll come right back to the exact tension um, that it was at when you removed the wheel from the bike okay so perfect
0: so so there's no like like if i got a brand new bicycle i'm not trying to set that tension myself necessarily right
1: yeah i mean usually so if you if you're buying it and building it yourself definitely as part of the setup uh, you'd have to dial that in but if it's a bike you say you buy it from your local bike shop uh, when it rolls off the floor of the shop it should have the tension adjusted yeah. correctly uh, okay. ready
0: to go and is it possible for the belt to come off or derail at any point like while you're riding
1: um, it shouldn't. I mean, the so the way it's designed um, with the newer center track design that we're using, yeah. there's a, a groove cut down the center of the belt, and then the corresponding flange in the center of the sprocket. So there should be. I mean, if there's mud, snow, just whatever you can think of that gets stuck in there, um, the belt shouldn't shouldn't come off for any reason. Okay.
0: Speaking of mud and snow and all that, like, how does the belt especially? respond to that? I mean, like on a bike tour, for example, I could be outside for months on end. You know, the bike is never inside. It's just being exposed to the elements all the time. How does, how how does it respond to that sort of thing?
1: Well, the one nice thing, I mean, there's all the materials that the belt and the sprockets are made out of. Um, You're not going to have to worry about any kind of corrosion. So you're not thinking about, oh, I have to keep this lubricated to keep it, keep it going. Um, So you can pretty much just, you know, try to keep it clean Um, whether it's, you know, salt or sand, mud, um, no worries there. Uh, The one thing I would say, if you're going to ride in really muddy conditions or like really snowy conditions, is to really make sure that your tension is adjusted correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the way that it's designed um, on the sprockets, we have these little sort of grooves um, that help eject mud and snow. So if you do get something stuck on the, you know, the surface, the tooth surface of the belt, and then as it's going through the sprocket, as long as the tension is high enough, Um, as soon as that, uh, sprocket is engaging the belt, it should just force whatever's in there right out. But if you're running, if you're say at a tension that's below our recommendations, um, that's when you might end up with, you know, something getting stuck in there and then, you know, wanting to make the belt pop off, you know, thick mud, really slushy snow, um, just make sure you're, you're in the recommended range, uh, as far as tension.
0: And then I guess my biggest question, maybe one of my biggest, about the belt is how long does it last? Will it wear out after a certain number of miles
1: or kilometers? Sure. So there's a, a pretty tremendous spectrum uh, in terms of belt longevity. So, you know, best case scenario, we've had people get over 30,000 miles um, out of a drivetrain. Um, and that's, you know, dry conditions. You don't have any weird, you know, particulates, sand, salt, stuff like that around. Yeah. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, if you're riding in, like, a Minnesota winter, and you have just, you know, all this gross salt, sand, yucky stuff wearing away at it, um, we've seen people get, you know, 4,000 to 6,000 miles out of a drivetrain. So, we don't try to quote people actual mileage numbers just because of that variability, but we usually say, um, you know, a chain in those same conditions, um, you'll usually see um, half the mileage or a third of the mileage out of a chain um, in those same conditions. So, we'll say, the belt will last usually two to three times longer than your expectations for a chain in the same environment. Mm, okay. So do you think
0: people that are doing long distance bike tours that where they're riding for, I don't know, across America or something, three months on their bike, should they be, should they be carrying an extra belt with them?
1: Um, I'd say this is a kind of case by case. It probably depends on the terrain you're riding on and definitely the, the condition of the belt. When you start your tour, if you're on like a brand new belt at the beginning and it's going to be, you know, pretty mild pavement sort of riding, No problem at all. Um, I think I'd feel comfortable doing it, even if it was, if I was riding gravel or something more rugged, just bringing a single belt. But, you know, if you're going to ride somewhere really remote, you know, and you're a cautious person, you know, a spare belt's probably not a bad idea.
0: So talking about riding now, maybe a little bit, like, what is it like to shift the gears with the pinion gearbox and and the shifter and everything?
1: So it's, you know, it's just a rotary shifter, um, which... To me, it's kind of advantageous. I think a lot of people really are hoping <laughs> for a trigger shifter at some point. But uh, for what the gearbox can do and how it shifts, uh, being able to shift you know, while you're pedaling or while you're still, the rotary shifter really makes sense to me because it just allows you to go to the specific gear you want. And so, yeah, just regular rotary shifter. What's kind of nice, too, all the indexing is occurring inside the gearbox rather than in the shifter. So if your cables are out of adjustment, say like your cable stretch or something like that, um, you're still able to get to all the gears and you're just not going to throw off some, some weird indexing thing to make it kind of hang between gears. Ah, that's cool. Um, but shifting super intuitive, you know, to just you know, roll it forward for a harder gear, roll it back for an easier gear. Uh, shifting under load is something that it takes a, a while to get used to um, because you can't, if you have the pedals really loaded up, the gearbox won't shift from one gear to the next. And so it uh, takes some time to learn the coordination of timing your shift with, you know, how you're pedaling Um, That probably took me, I don't know, maybe three or four rides um, to really get that uh, coordination down. I don't know, how how was your, you know, touring on it, uh, your first experience uh, with the shifting, what did you think?
0: Well, my biggest question at the beginning was, should I be pedaling while I'm shifting? Because on a, you know, a traditional chain and derailleur, you pretty much have to be pedaling in order to change gears. Uh, And so for this, I thought... I don't know, am I supposed to be pedaling, or do I stop pedaling momentarily, shift gears, and then keep going almost like you would with a manual transmission in a car, you know? And, and so that was my first question. So either way works. Okay. But you're not doing any damage necessarily?
1: No, not at all. Yeah. No, you can shift it, load it up, or, uh, or completely still, which I think a lot of touring people really like that, because if you have a heavy touring bike, say you roll up to a stop sign, you're in the wrong gear you don't want to pick this heavy bike up to try to get it back to an easier gear with the you know with the internal gears you can just zip it to whichever gear you want to be in uh, anytime yeah that's really beneficial you,
0: you said it took you a little while to get used to the gearing mechanism and the shifting with the pinion system for me however i felt like it took me 15, 20 minutes or something. It was so easy compared to a lot of other gearing um, and shifting mechanisms that I've tried on other bicycles. Like like a lot of people are used to the integrated shifters that you see on road bikes, for example. Um, And so for somebody who's like used to that system to then switch to, say, like bar end shifters... That can oftentimes take those people like a day or two or three or, or more maybe even uh, to get used to like moving their hands way down, you know, to the bar ends in order to change gears. But with this, it's really just so simple. And I think the other thing, something that maybe you didn't mention is that all of the gears are on that one shifter. So there are not, there's not a shifter on the left and a shifter on the right. It's just all on that one side. Uh, which is really nice. and makes it super easy and non-complicated to shift gears. the The only thing that I think that I had a a little trouble with was I found that like switching up gears was very, very easy. Like going from say gear six to gear seven or from seven to eight, that was very, very easy. But sometimes, when I'm coming down a gear, say from gear seven to gear six, then it gets a little stuck or something sometimes. It's, you know, it's not, as, it's not as fluid as it is going up. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, a lot of that is just the design of the shifting mechanism. I guess, have you seen an exploded diagram of the gearbox yet? Yeah, For, yeah. It's, it's pretty sweet how it works. So all of the gears, there's, you know, the top and the bottom shaft, all the gears on the top shaft can move independently of the shaft that they're on. Mm-hmm. And there's little paws that flip up and down to grab the different gear pairs. Super smart, super cool design, um, really robust. But um, between the upshifts and the downshifts, it's different as far as how those paws are loaded relative to the gears. And so, going one direction, I think it's really easy for the paws to retract back into the shaft versus the other direction, the paws want to sort of hang up. Um, and that's where you're shifting under load. The paws want to drop in. That's why it's fighting you um, to shift under load. So, one way, I think it's just easier for the pole to find its way back down into the shaft. Um, definitely a good question for opinion, though, um, as far as why. Yeah, how and why. <laughs> that is exactly like that, but definitely easier going up than down. Yeah, well, it's just... it's.
0: I, I found it just...
1: I don't know. It only happened a few times
0: to me where I was like, oh, it's kind of stuck a little bit or something, but then you learn... You just
1: learn how to shift. (laughs) It's all just the timing. You know, you just momentarily, it's only one rotation of that top shaft to complete the shift. So it shifts darn near instantaneously when, when it shifts. So you just have to do that momentary pause on the pedals. It's not even that you have to completely unload the pedals, Um, just reduce the power, complete the shift and then keep going. And yeah, it's just a coordination thing. Just a timing thing.
0: We've already talked about like the, the maintenance and longevity of the belt, but what about the actual pinion gearbox? What what do you have to do to maintain that, and how long do those things last?
1: Sure. Uh, so it's just a simple oil change um, every 6,000 miles or, uh, or once a year um, as far as, like, your regular maintenance on the box. Um, otherwise, I mean, you can really think of it more as, like, a car transmission um, or, like, a motorcycle transmission in terms of what it's designed to do. It's basically just supposed to go and go. Without really any you know, any real sort of maintenance other than the oil changes, um, I think pinion is claiming like a hundred thousand kilometers is what they're expecting out of a lot of these boxes, so hmm. it, it could easily outlast the frames they're mounted in and then even you know even if you do wear one completely out, they 're refurbishable, so uh, you could send it in uh, they have a you know service center there in Germany, uh, you send it in for a refurbishment so serviceable long lasting um, the cables are the only thing. You know, I know I have replaced a few cables on the on one of the bikes we have here, just cause like it gets wrecked or something like that. You crimp the housing and um, that's really the only other thing that, other than the oil change that you might really have to do on it.
0: How do you actually change the oil though? Do you, do I have to like take it into the shop or can I do it myself?
1: No, it's it's actually really funny how it's done. So there's, there's a drain plug, just like your car. Um, you drain the old oil out and then uh, it's 60 millil- milliliters of new oil. And the way opinion packages the oil it comes in a big syringe and so all you do once the oil's drained out of it you just put the syringe up to the drain plug and push the oil in it takes about 15 seconds to to, to reinstall oil in the box uh, right. throw the drain plug back in and you're you're back on the road okay
0: so that's just like something extra that i buy from them once i need to do that
1: yeah okay. yep so like once a year uh, and it's part of the the warranty process too they have a little card that comes with all the boxes um, that wants you to record, you know, the date in which you did the oil change. It's part of the whole, you know, sort of like five-year warranty that they have. Um, is routine oil changes uh, once a year.
0: Yeah, and and how does the gearbox like keep out things like water and dirt and
1: all that? Is it completely sealed or or no? It's extremely well sealed. I wouldn't call it like waterproof, yeah. um, but just like so like just like your car's transmission. So all the seals that they're going to use on there, um, they're a labyrinth style seal that is, it's extremely well sealed. And so I don't think you could probably use it underwater and have it stay watertight. But if you're doing a a creek crossing or, you know, if it's momentarily underwater or something like that, you're not going to get, you know, a lot of water inside there um, or any really. So very, very well sealed.
0: But yeah, like humidity or something isn't going to get in there and then rest all the components and all that sort
1: of thing. No, with yeah. the oil bath that's in there, it should keep everything, you know, pretty well coated in oil. As long as you're doing your oil change when you're supposed to, uh, if you do get some sort of moisture in there for some reason, um, as long as you're on that regular oil change sort of interval, it's going to come right back out again. So I'd say it's, you know, it's the same as like disc brakes. Like disc brakes are really well sealed, but dot fluid loves to absorb water, so it Every once in a while, so like when brakes overheat in cars or on bicycles, it's usually due to there being a little bit of moisture in there. You just, you know, you bleed it at that point, you get it out, and then you're back in business.
0: But like, like, let's say worst situation ever happens and something does break inside or something. Like, what do you do? Can you fix it yourself? Do you have to mail your whole bike in to get repaired, or or what happens?
1: Uh, well, so in that case, you would just pull the gearbox off. It's four bolts that secure the box to the frame. Mm-hmm. And then, um, if you're here in North America, you just send it to me. I send you a replacement from Denver here to keep you going. And then we pull it apart and basically see, you know, what exactly is going on inside there. And, but it, But that
0: is like me pulling the box out of there is something I could do like right now with my multi-tool.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It takes about the the longest the most time consuming part of removing the box from the bike would be um, taking the cables um, out of the shifter. Otherwise, it's yeah, it's uh, six just Torx head bolts to secure it to the frame, and you have to pull the back wheel off to release the tension of the belt, um, and then the box just drops right out. Wow, that's cool.
0: Okay, I thought it was going to be way more complicated than that actually.
1: Uh, and they wanted to make it, so like the way that the box mounts, um, so all the frames are the same, all the boxes are the same, the different models. So they wanted to make it easy. You know, if you're going to switch, you know, box models or you're going to pull it off for service or something like that, they wanted to make it pretty easy and intuitive, um, to, to get the boxes on and off the bikes.
0: Yeah, that's really neat. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I like your answer, but what... <laughs> What about, uh, like, if I go to my local bike shop and ask them for help, like, let's say one of the cables I need to replace or something, are they going to know how to do that?
1: Sure. Um, So most shops, you know, probably won't have had too much experience or any with it. Um, So Pinion has done an extremely good job um, with both their service manuals, the actual printed material they have, and then they also have a whole series of of videos online. It's kind of funny for me, like, I'm the guy that answers the phone when people are having issues. And there's there's nothing I can explain to you over the phone that, uh, that the video won't show you uh, in about 30 seconds. So uh, you just jump on the Pinion website, any of that sort of routine maintenance, whether it's related to cables, um, you know, shifters, you know, the shifters, the little rubber parts, they'll wear out, um, you know, over time. So all those little sort of routine maintenance things, you can just jump on there and they usually have a, you know, five to 10 minute video on there, just showing you every step of the process uh, to to fix it.
0: That's cool. Okay. But it could, like, it, once I open up the box, let's say, and I look inside, is, is there any chance that, like, I could repair something that was wrong inside of there? Or or do I essentially just have to mail it in to you?
1: You'd really just have to, to mail it in. Um, yeah, the all the tolerances inside the box are, are really, really, really tight. Hmm. Um, and that's something that, like, even here in Denver, like, I'll do you know, small, small things, like if it's like seals or something like that, um, that's stuff that I can tackle, but for anything bigger than that, it pretty much goes back to the opinion in Germany, um, just because of how, how tight those tolerances are. And that's part of the reason why it's so reliable is because of, of how tight all their tolerances are. There's just, there's no slop in any of it. And so, um, it's not something that, that you or I would want to tackle, uh, you know, on our workbench in our garage.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm Just curious.
1: And, uh,
0: and yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, they're like the, the touring bike world, a lot of people hold to this traditional idea that like, you want to have this bike that can be repaired anywhere in the world and you can find the parts for, it and the local bike shops will be able to help you. So do you feel like, like if I, if I'm planning maybe a domestic tour it seems like the pinion gearbox and the gates carbon drive and all that stuff sounds great. But if I'm going to Africa or South America or something more remote, do you still think it's a good idea to have that kind of a bike or do you think you should go with something more traditional?
1: I think it's a great idea. I think I would yeah, ride anywhere uh, in the world on, on the pinion gearbox. I think the the thing that I think of is like, okay, if you're going to drive across Africa and you're, you're driving a, like a Toyota pickup or something it's like the transmission in the Toyota pickup, you're not going to leave being like, Oh, what if my transmission breaks? Like, Oh, what will happen? You know, it's kind of the same. That's where it sits in my mind is that it's, you know, the sealed really precise mechanism that's very robust and durable. And, you know, as long as you do the routine maintenance on it, you should be able to ride it just about anywhere, um, and not, you know, run into any, any hassles like that.
0: Right, and I know that you guys have there. There's been a bunch of people that have ridden the bikes like this all around the world, and I haven't heard of any major issues.
1: It's kind of crazy. I mean, Pinion, they really, they really spent their time doing all their development. I think 2005 is when they kind of first had the idea, first kind of started designing, and then it was 2011 before they actually produced, you know, a commercialized gearbox. Um, and they had had. Tons of people riding it in all kinds of different places, Um, you know, really, really just thoroughly testing it. And now it's been out for, you know, six years and there's been, yeah, people have completed all sorts of, you know, international tours on it, crazy places. Um, And it's definitely, uh, definitely proven to be a, a robust transmission for your bike.
0: Where is the future headed? I mean, is it going to get smaller, the technology going to get smaller, lighter, faster? I don't know.
1: Uh, hopefully yes. Um, all of those things, like looking at the way that the boxes are designed now, there's you know, they're really, really overbuilt, and so I think they could um, definitely lighten a few things up internally in the box. Um, the shifting, I'm assuming down the road there'll be some options if you have you know drop bars, want a drop bar shifter option. Lighter, cheaper, faster, better, right? <laughs> so
0: I guess my last question is, do people that buy a pinion Gearbox with a Gates carbon belt drive and all that, do they ever go back to riding a bike with a
1: traditional chain and derailleur? Yeah, most people get on it and most people are apprehensive to buy it because they're like, I don't know, this is new. This is, this is so strange. What's it going to do? I don't know. They get it and then they just love it. If you read like the forum comments, there'll be someone that's like, If you get on pink bike or MTBR or anything, it seems like, you know, there'll be people asking tons of questions and then someone always chimes in it's like, I've had this now for X number of years. It's the greatest thing. No going back now. So that's just generally the same same feedback we received on our end is that people get it. they'll They'll think they're really rolling the dice, getting into it. And then they just love it. They just love not having to think about their bike, you know, maintenance day in, day out. They just ride their bike do whatever you know whatever they need to do and uh, hose it off sometimes yeah that's awesome
0: yeah I've been really impressed with it I mean my first impression with the pinion gearbox when I first got it was oh it's actually a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be like I thought it was going to be very very noticeable like I had a motorcycle engine on the bottom of my bike or something but it's 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 really not. Most people don't even see that it's there. It's crazy.
1: The, the c box is even smaller than your gearbox. They, right. they reduce the width and yeah, the new ones are, um, really sleek and yeah, definitely small. Huh.
0: But yeah, but like people that did notice the box down there, so many of them said, is that a motor or where's, you know, where's the battery uh because i thought it was an electric bicycle or something it you- can
1: definitely be a conversation starter <laughs> yeah. for sure I mean, people are yeah with the e-bikes becoming more and more common especially like here in colorado there's uh there's some animosity towards e-bikes especially out on like the mountain bike trails and so that it definitely can invite uh some attention and yeah it's just a simple conversation after that no it's a gearbox it's new check it out but yeah it yeah it's usually uh yeah a good conversation starter
0: yeah, I've been getting some good responses from the people I met out on the road. So, yeah. Mark, it's been great talking to you. Is there anything else that you think we should mention uh, while we're talking about the pinion gearboxes and the Gates carbon drive system?
1: I was kind of doing the math on the other day. It's like you know, when the initial investment of the pinion is higher, certainly, than a lot of derailleur systems. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the replacement cost, like I was looking into um, like a one by 12 system, like the Eagle system. Um, a lot of the expense of those systems now has become the cassettes because of how intricate the manufacturing is for them. Hmm. And so I was looking at, you know, if you compare like a C12 drivetrain system, like your upfront cost is somewhere around $1,600 for the belt, the sprockets, the you know the the gearbox. Um, versus some of these other systems will come in, you know, maybe two or three hundred dollars less. But then you're, you know, if you're actually riding your bike and replacing the chain and cassette, you know, once a year. That's over $400 right. every time you do that. And so, man, like up front, the pinion looked expensive, but I was like, if you average this out over like a five or six year period for someone reusing re- their bike, um, the pinion is really pretty economical.
0: And with that, I will conclude my talk here with Mark Seaman from Pinion and Gates. Thank you so much once again, Mark. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Darren, for the opportunity. If you want to learn more about the Gates Carbon Drive system or the Pinion gearboxes, be sure to check out my website at bicycletouringpro.com. If you're interested in learning more about Co-Motion Cycles and the bicycles that they build with the Pinion Gearbox and Gates Carbon Drive system built into them, uh, you can check out their website at co-motion.com. And obviously there's a whole lot more information on the Pinion and Gates websites as well. Once again, I am Darren Alf from BicycleTouringPro.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope to see you out on the road sometime
1: soon.